0: You Can Measure Anything, the podcast shares conversations to help you clarify unclear concepts so that you can develop better measures that lead to better decisions. Let's get started. Does your organization have, or is it required to have, a DEI policy? Are you receiving funding to support DEI efforts? Does everyone understand each letter of DEI and DEIB and what it means for the organization? Today, we explore the concept of inclusivity and how we can recognize and measure it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to You Can Measure Anything, the podcast. I'm Nicole Alioto, CEO of Alabreva Consulting, and with me today is Dr. Kalisha Graves, Professor, author, and speaker. She has a lot of experience as an executive who focuses on the application of DEI and B in education and in the workplace. We'll talk about all of those things today in this episode. Welcome, Dr. Graves. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to reconnect with you. Uh, We met several years back, you won't won't say how many years back, but several years ago, uh, doing program (laughs) evaluation work at Fayetteville State University, where you earned your doctorate. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey from FSU to where you are now? Yeah, sure. So yeah, we definitely met, um, gosh,
1: I don't, yeah, I don't even know the exact term if it was like 10 years ago, um, but you know, since COVID, my my ability to tell time right before 2019 is like completely... (laughs) I'm like I don't know what happened, but yeah. So and uh, when we met, I was actually working with an HIV prevention program. So got my bachelor's from Fayetteville State University, and my doctorate from Fayetteville State University in education. And so one side of my brain is like strictly academic, you know, university professor. I love teaching. I teach courses now in philosophy and in education, respectively. Oh, so okay. I'm kind of in two different worlds. I'm in a humanities world, and I'm also in a <laughs> social sciences world. And um, after that transitioned into an executive role. So I serve as the chief research education programs officer at the King Center mm-hmm. in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's been a wonderful journey. So I had a lot of experience working in higher ed and understanding that dynamic and now transitioning uh, or serving in an executive capacity. It's a really fulfilling
0: experience. That's fantastic. And we did connect on the program evaluation side. I actually did my doctoral work in HIV um, prevention behaviors. So it wow. was like, I guess the kismet that we connected when yeah. we did and, and that yeah. we're working in the same space now. So definitely. it's fun to see how you've taken your experiences and apply them in different places. And I think that's what makes measurement and evaluation so critical is you can take that core set of skills and really apply it to a number of industries or settings, if you will. Yeah, most definitely. In your role as a university professor, and and you mentioned being responsible for a variety of programs, how does diversity, equity, and inclusion, when we think about DEI, how do they connect with the work that you're doing?
1: Yeah, so there's kind of two sides of my brain, right? Like if my brain was on display, there would be two categories, (laughs) university side and then executive side. As a university professor, DEI really is at the core of of um, everything that I do, even in terms of teaching and curriculum. I am one who is committed to amplifying and bringing to the fore underrepresented voices and uh, bringing to the fo- to the four marginalized communities, so a lot of my scholarship is around is in rather the the area of African American studies, African American mm-hmm. history, African American philosophy, and so mm-hmm. amplifying those perspectives. Um, I see it kind of as an archaeological endeavor, if you will, just because of how history has been constructed, particularly in the in the West. Uh, my approach to excavating these voices really is kind of I see it as an archaeological endeavor. So DEI is central in terms of how I seek to bring diverse voices to the fore, but also not just sometimes we think about DEI just in terms of race, gender, ability, etc. cetera. But in, I also think about DEI in a different context as it relates to education. So how do we bring to students a diversity of learning opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. How do we diversify the curriculum in a way yeah that allows um, us to meet different learning styles, neural diversity, right? Um, How do we design a learning experience that meets students where they are? So I think about DEI, not just in terms of content, right? Bringing underrepresented voices to the fore, but also in the actual design of the experience for students. Now, in terms of the executive side of my brain, I focus a lot on developing programs that help to support uh, educational institutions and workplaces in their DEI initiative. So uh, one particular program that Um, we recently developed, I'll say at the King Center, is our Nonviolence 365 online program. So we have a masterclass edition. We also have a workplace edition, and it's designed to help bring Martin Luther King Jr.'s philosophy and methodology of nonviolence to the world, but to also use um, to help people be equipped with the skill set that would help them be able to solve problems, you know, within their immediate
0: environments. I think that's so valuable because we hear so many needs emerging in both educational environments as well as in the workplace and to have resources that one can access remotely. It's hard to always find an expert to bring in. So when you have experts developing assets that you can then bring to these environments is, is just incredible. When I think about DEI, And it's always lumped together as DEI. And sometimes when it's considered a singular entity, measuring it becomes problematic because each piece, the diversity, equity, and inclusion can be measured differently. So when we think about measuring DEI, it gets a little bit muddled because one might focus on one letter or one construct versus the other. So when you've looked at DEI, whether it's in the education space or in an executive environment, how do you define inclusion differently than the other constructs?
1: Yeah, thank you for that. That's a great question. And so it'd be helpful if I just contextualize how I define DEI and B overall. So I use the metaphor of a global table, if you will. Imagine if the world was sitting at a table diversity is the natural state of our world. It's the ever present reality that you have people who are from different areas, who think differently, who show up differently, right? Diversity is the natural state of our world. Now, imagine at this table, everybody needs a seat. Everybody needs a, ch- a chair in order to participate. And so you have some seats that are uh, tall, some seats that are short, some seats that are wide, some seats that are narrow, right? This is the equity dynamic. So equity is about each according to his need. You can have a table with everybody there, but if uh, but if people don't have a seat that accommodates them, right, then there's no equity. Inclusion is about the environment that is created at that table, because it is entirely possible to have the world at a table, right? And to and for everyone to have a seat that enables them to participate. But if the environment is not conducive for everyone's voice to be heard, or for people to fully participate, then the diversity and equity side of the equation was purely performative, if you will. So inclusion is about the environment that is created
0: at that table. So I hope that makes sense. It does. now I'm going to push it even further. So then where would belonging fit in at the table? Sure.
1: <laughs> so belonging is the flip side of inclusion. So whereas inclusion is about the environment that's created, that's conducive for people to be able to thrive. Belonging is about how people, how the person perceives the environment. So, inclusion mm-hmm. is about the environment that is created. Belonging is about the person's perception about yeah. being in that yes. environment. Do yeah. they feel included, right? Because mm-hmm. it's entirely possible <laughs> to have a performative environment where there's diverse right. people, where everybody has a seat that fits them, right? And you can have the illusion of inclusion. But how you know you're successful is if yeah. the person feels that. The environment is one in which they belong, and so really, I would I see
0: belonging as the checks and balances to <laughs> to the yeah. to the other three, yeah. right? Yeah, I think that's where the measurement piece is. Yeah, the the tricky part is if we're focusing on just inclusion and. Creating that environment, sure, yeah. we can have a checklist and we can have you know, ideas in place and systems where we're providing training and supports for staff, mm-hmm. whether it's in education or in an executive environment. But yeah. if we're not looking at the recipients of the environment and their perceptions of belonging within mm-hmm. that inclusive environment, then we're only. About halfway there with that construct of inclusion, so that's okay. two sides of the same coin, or you know, yeah. parts of the same room. I guess exactly the super I guess when we're thinking about starting these projects, that um, you know, I, people are working toward DEIB in a variety of ways initiatives are required in some instances to have a policy in place, but the practices aren't always articulated to support the policy. It's kind of this blank slate. So, and I'm thinking about it from an evaluation perspective, let's put (laughs) our program evaluator hats on and think, all right, if I'm coming into this organization, you know, small business, large business, Mm -hmm. school, if I walk into this environment and say, all right, well, I need to start collecting baseline data. Mm -hmm. Where would I start?
1: Yeah, I think you start at the level of the people, right? I think it's easy in businesses to provide statements about what ought to be or what we should be providing. But I think it's important to start at the level of the individuals, right? And to understand who are your team members. I even kind of feel, kind of funny about using the word employee but who are your team members as people not as laborers right because it's easy to kind of just Mm -hmm. default to that Um, Mm -hmm. even in terms of how we conduct interviews job interviews it's you know always about what can you do rather than who are you Mm. so I think baseline data it's important to understand who the people are that Compose your team, not just in terms of their skill sets, but what are their passions? What mm. are their joys? What are their experiences? Because those are the those um, that set of information is going to help um, leaders, right? Plan an environment that is conducive for allowing the team member to bring their whole self to work. So I would say, uh, starting at the level of the individual and seeking to understand what is the person's perception of this environment? I think, you know, we have mission statements, we have vision statements about um, who we want to be in the world. But if the team members themselves don't, right, have that same idea, then it's just performative. So I think um, helping or or mining, if you will, the perceptions of the team members is significant in terms of collecting uh, baseline data.
0: That is exactly what, <laughs> what I was thinking when it comes to strategic planning. A lot of the work that we're doing, and we use the you know, laser process, we call it, where you know we'll have conversations first, but then the A is the assessment. So kind of what are the existing needs? Where are we now It's kind of that baseline data that we start with and then move into the strategy and ultimately into the evaluation phase and refining as the R. So being able to collect the baseline before setting those priorities and and whatnot. I understand that there might be goals already in place or mandates or policies that are required, but taking that step back to say, wait, let's take a look at where are we starting now before we really move too far ahead, because we might be creating something that is outside of who our team is representing. Exactly. So We want to make sure we don't have that disconnect to make Ensure that our work is moving in the right direction.
1: Yeah, and just personally, I don't believe in planning for people. I be I believe in planning with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Even in the the teams that I lead you know, I I always let them know I'm a highly collaborative person, right? Let me know what you think. Let's plan together. Let's create a mutual work plan because you have, I don't just need to feel good about it. You have to feel good about it because ultimately, right? They're the person Mm -hmm. that's going to have to execute on whatever the deliverables are. So we both need to feel good about it. But again, that's about creating an environment so that people actually understand that they're valued, mm-hmm. right? Rather than just stating that we value people, right? But how, what are the specific actions that you take to demonstrate that people are central to to the enterprise?
0: So if you came across an organization that really had challenges and setting up that environment where people felt comfortable to express themselves. <laughs> How do you start? I feel like it's such a that's such an open area that yeah. you know, oh boy, gosh, where do we even start? How do we? We know where point A is. We know where point B is. But yeah. you know, what's that first step we can take to um, provide that more uh, inclusive environment? Yeah.
1: I think it starts with leadership, right? I was looking at some stats recently and around, you know, what are the top reasons that people leave a job? And the top reasons have nothing to do with the actual uh, brick and mortar of the job. It has nothing to do with them actually being able to complete the task of whatever it is they're working on. It has to do with leadership a lot of times, right? It has to do with people feeling respected, people feeling valued, right? Or people feeling disrespected or feeling um, under. Valued. I think it's important for leaders to number one, level set expectations with their teams, but to honestly just have an open disposition. A disposition is different from a statement. A statement is something that you write on a paper and say, this is what it is. But a disposition is a bodily function, right? It's, a, it's an emotional thing. It's how one shows up in the world. So I think leaders should be equipped with um, the appropriate dispositions that would make um, an inclusive environment possible, right? Because a leader's disposition literally conditions the environment. If you are a leader who is uptight or who is, you know, just very micromanaging, then that's going to reverberate through your organization. So, uh, the leader has to have the right vibe. If you can think about include an inclusive environment as a vibe, mm-hmm. like young people say,
0: vibe, right? <laughs> oh, in- us, us more mature folks can right? say vibe too. I'm speaking right? for my my generation.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's it's about the vibe you set in an environment where team members know i can approach person with whatever the the issue or or whatever it is i'm not afraid to make mistakes in this environment that's Mm -hmm. that's a that's the environment that leaders set up i i tell my team this is probably an extreme example but uh the teams that i work with i tell them all the time i said and i tell students this too because students have um have a tendency to just you know jump off the deep end when it comes to missing assignments and you know I said look the only thing that we cannot fix is death right and I know that's an extreme (laughs) example but it's true so look don't trip about if you make a mistake we can fix it Mm-hmm. But again, that's a leadership disposition. That's mm-hmm. ensuring that the environment is conducive so that people feel comfortable to not only excel, but to make mistakes along the way, because that's a part of the learning journey, right? That's a part of what teamwork means. So I know that was a mm-hmm. long way to answer that, <laughs> that question.
0: It, it sounds, though, that a first step is ensuring that the those in the leadership position and, you know, you can have leaders at various levels, but those mm-hmm. who are your natural opinion leaders, or those yeah. who do have the ultimate final decision-making power, they really need to be on board and clear. Yeah. They need to walk the talk. They need to you know, hold people accountable for mm-hmm. ensuring that the work is implemented, you know, with fidelity and with supports and as a team. That's an area at risk of falling short if there is a, a policy or a requirement for a DEI initiative and it immediately goes to those in the classroom or in uh, in the office or in a retail store or somewhere that the activities are intended to happen, but the leadership is not clear as to how the environment will sustain, then I would Mm. say checkpoint one is ensuring the leadership team is clear and supportive and ready to walk the talk. That's right. Precisely. What might be some of the goals we should have around inclusivity in the workplace? What should we be thinking about? What's Mm. a, what's a good realistic goal we should set?
1: Yeah. So I think as a first goal, so there I'll answer this question in two ways. I think as a first goal, uh, it's important, or I'll say this, the default answer is professional development and training opportunities that we can scale out to or that can be scaled out to the entire enterprise or to the entire organization. I think that's the default answer, right? and and i I do think training and professional development opportunities are important because you're helping to build um, build a team member's skill set. The other side of that is I one of my mentors in my head, she doesn't know she's my mentor, right? <laughs> is Indra Nuyi. Indra Nuyi is the former CEO and chairwoman, chairman of uh, PepsiCo. And one of her phrases or one of the things she talks about in terms of how she sought to uh, design PepsiCo around this idea of um, um, purpose is she wanted to understand or wanted to create an environment where employees could, and I used this phrase earlier, bring their whole selves to work. I think what's easy is to provide statements about what we will do? One of the things I or one of the things I tell my students is I said, you're really concerned about giving me the right answer. I want you to be concerned about asking the right question that will lead you to the next level of insight. As an assessment and evaluation person, you understand that getting to that next level of insight <laughs> is precisely through the prism of good question asking. So in terms of how uh, leaders, organizations should attempt to set up goals is by first asking the right questions. How can we, uh, how can we allow employees to bring their whole selves to work? And then think about initiatives that answer that question, right? Or think about programs that, that answer that question, or um, how can we prioritize wellness? Because again, DEI and B is not just about race, gender, and all of, you know, the other uh, characteristics of a human being, but it's also about wellness right so how do we prioritize wellness and then what does it look like to to cascade a set of programs or or initiatives that support or that answer that question i'm also like a research methodologist so <laughs> In terms of uh, I um, I chair dissertations as well, and so I'm always thinking in terms of like research methodology and how mm-hmm. you answer your research <laughs> questions. <laughs> so my, you know, forgive me if I bring that kind of disposition to. Oh, that's to, what we love answer. it. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> this particular question, but you know, how do we connect with external stakeholders? Right? How do we um, adapt our strategies to? you know, promote global inclusivity. So what I'm saying is the knee jerk is to provide a statement about what we can or will do that would help our team members. I think the, if we look at it from a different vantage point, how do we ask the right questions that would allow us to build out a set of opportunities, experiences, or programs that support our team members
0: and allow them, um, you know, optimal performance growth. You One of the things you mentioned, <laughs> you might not have realized that you said the, uh, what does it look like? And that's something that I find myself doing with goal setting activities is, you know, what does it look like five years from now? If we did all of these right. things, what should I see that's different? If I came in from the outside, is the organization going to look different? How do I know that the environment is structured this way? What characteristics should I see of of staff, of teams, of of students, of anyone in the environment, of the environment itself. How do I know that it made a difference? I always say it's the so what yeah. factor. You know, the the what's are the the policies and the procedures and the activities, but the so mm-hmm. what is you know that impact that it actually made. And it's it's hard because it's to measure that and to kind of get your head around measuring outcomes versus outputs. You know, I could talk about how many people mm-hmm. attended the training but so what (laughs) did we use what we learned? Did it actually make a difference in the environment? And if so, what results did we see after that fact?
1: You know, I love that because I think, you know, in organizations, it's easy, especially dealing with a lot of grants and things. It's easy to just report outputs, right? How many people did this? How many trainings we've provided? So I I, I, I love how you differentiated that because I think it's super important for leaders to understand the difference between outputs and outcomes mm-hmm. because the outcome is really where you show your impact. So I love that.
0: Yeah, it's, it goes back to the core. And I work with so many institutions of, of learning that you just because I taught it doesn't mean they learned it. So it's mm. the same situation when it comes to goal setting around D, e, I, and B. you know, just because I set up the structure or I wrote the policy doesn't mean that it really made the difference that we intended. Mm.
1: If I could ask you this question, how do you go about, or, you know, if you had a room full of, you know, leaders and managers and you had to break it down to them and, you know, uh, in, in simple terms. How should they, how do you break down the concept so that it's measurable, right? Like, how do you, mm-hmm. what's the one, one one to that?
0: Yeah. That and I know this is your show, right? But I'm asking you a question. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. I'm on the spot. That comes up all the time. And that's really how this podcast got started. And even before that, our, um, we have a a workbook and I'll, I'll put the link to it in the show notes as well. That is how to measure anything. And it is that process of where do you start? And we do go through that process of, you know, what does it look like when it's here or in place? What does it look like when it's not? And then starting to look at how does it similar or different to other Construct. So when we think about D-I-B, you know, that's important to understand each one has a different way of measuring it, that it's not just one thing. It's not just D-I-B, yeah. it's D-E-I right. and B, there are four separate right. pieces of the whole construct. So that's usually how we start looking at it as how do we, do we know it's when it's there? How do we know when it's not there? You know, would we agree If we both observe this, would we agree that that it's the same thing? And then how do multiple measures come into play? Because it's not just one time one thing it's like one item does not a construct make you know it's not just one piece of the puzzle you need all the pieces put together before you see the picture so then we get to that level of detail that you know now that we've defined it what are the multiple ways that we can collect evidence around that construct so it's a it's a multi-step process but i think that's where the value is because then everyone is is clear. And we all have, you know, going back to the puzzle analogy, we all have that box cover and we can see where we're going <laughs> with it. And right. as we start to collect the pieces and you might have one piece and I might have another piece and our teammate might have, you know, 10 pieces, <laughs> but it's all yeah. of us taking our pieces and, and putting them together. That makes the difference for the organization.
1: Yeah, No, it does. It does. Right. And like I said, this is your show. So <laughs> But, uh, you know, organizations are really in an environment now where they have to be able to clearly articulate what is their value add to the world, Mm. right, not just existing for existence sake, Mm. but what is a particular value add that you bring to the broader society so I I love your emphasis on this and, and empowering organizations to, you know, move in this direction in a cogent manner, right? Cause I think you kind of have default ways of collecting data that we may think are (laughs) incorrect. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, oh, this is not enough, but it really empowering organizations with a tool set and and with a common vocabulary Mm -hmm. that would help to,
0: to articulate the value add of one's, you know, of one's org. Absolutely. There's thinking, there's feeling, there's knowing. I, I, my mind goes to the an old movie called "And the Band Played On," which is also around the the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. So it's it's interesting how it all comes together with these uh, you know health behaviors and um, impacts. And one of the phrases that repeats throughout the movie is, you know, what do we think? What do we know? What can we prove? And I feel like that's often in the conversation is, you know, we think we know what something is, but how do we know it when we see it? And then how do we prove it? What evidence do we have that we can collect around it? So yeah, I, I watch TV yeah. movies and as much yeah. as possible, bring it into the measurement conversation. And that's one that is, is really relevant to the core of measurement practice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And how you align Yeah, I've served on some accreditation committees and when we were on a mission to have to collect documentation I know as a professor you're like "Uh, is this the appropriate documentation that will suffice for the you know standard that it so um anyway when you when you mentioned evidence it just took me back to you know being on accreditation committees and having to be on a search for appropriate evidence right and ensuring that (laughs) Mm -hmm. that the particular artifact aligns with what the outcome is and you know trying to uh, build back on that so yeah
0: So on a side note, I know that you are a published author. So before we close out our episode today, do you want to tell our listeners about your book?
1: Yeah. So I had a book that was published by the University of Notre Dame Press in 2019, and it was re-released in paperback in 2022. And uh, it's called Nanny Helen Burroughs, a documentary portrait of an early civil rights pioneer. And it's an intellectual history that seeks to um, elevate the intellectual thought of Nanny Helen Burroughs, who was an early 20th century educator and institution builder. So uh, super significant in terms of uh, how we think about the canon of African-American thought. She is one of those underrepresented voices that I mentioned that I'm on a mission to help mm-hmm. excavate these, these voices from obscurity, if you will. She is one of those voices. And so this intellectual history is aimed at positioning her more, more or I'll say enabling her wider visibility in the African-American intellectual
0: canon. Well, thanks for sharing yeah. about the book. It sounds fascinating. I know I saw the the link um, to it, and we'll put that in the show notes as well, so that anyone listening in, if you want to grab a copy and uh, read up on it, I know I'm going to grab mine as well. Before we wrap awesome. up, finally. Um, Anything else you'd like to tell our listeners about the work that you're doing or how to get a hold of you if they want yeah. to connect
1: after? Yeah, sure. Um can always connect with me on LinkedIn. I mean, in terms of my executive role, you know, I would invite folks to check out the King Center's website to un- you know, to understand all of the programs. Um, that we have going on there in terms of me I mentioned the first book the second book I'm working on is actually I'm thinking about this question of sustainability and Mm -hmm. higher education and internationalization and foreign policy and bringing all of those concepts together and particularly looking at the HBCU space or historically black colleges and universities and relations with Africa. So yeah, I I am, my mind is tuned to like sustainability and what that looks like, you know, in a development and higher education context. So yeah, I'm, I'm into all of the things right now
0: It's, it's wonderful and they're so interconnected. and to be able to share your expertise and, and your experiences across education and in the executive space, you know I think that's just so valuable and really really appreciate your time sharing that with us today. And uh, we'll be putting some of those links in the show notes as well, so that it's it's easy for folks to be able to find you and your book and stay tuned for your, your future publication. It's super exciting. I can't wait to see awesome. it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Today, we explored the concept of inclusivity. Here are three takeaways so you can say I did it. One. Don't be afraid to collect baseline data about DEIB before you choose a program to implement. Two, investigate the resources your organization has to build and sustain an inclusive environment. Three, demonstrate inclusivity at every level of your organization. How is everyone being heard? Join us next week for a constructive chat about another cryptic concept because you can measure anything.